0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. With shoppers buying everything online these days, getting those holiday gifts for family and friends is going to be harder than ever. But no need to worry because our friends at Seattle Shirt Company have got us covered. Jay and the team have an unbelievable selection of NFL and NBA jerseys for everyone on your list. These jerseys are 100% authentic, from current superstars like LeBron James to the all-time legends like Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Walter Payton. Seattle Shirt Company has it all. And right now, for our listeners, we have a special one-time only pre-Black Friday Cyber Monday deal. Everything you buy at SeattleShirt.com is 30% off. So head to seattleshirt.com and enter the code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout for 30% off your entire order. Shipping is always free. Seattle Shirt Company, helping you get ready for the holidays a little bit early. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. The number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to today's episode of The Iso with myself, Dan Dickow, your host for SB Live Sports and the Believe Podcast Network. Conversations throughout the world of sports, as you probably know if you're a listener, a subscriber, it's probably the world of basketball. Today's is someone that I've enjoyed getting to Know him at least through his writing, a couple conversations here or there. I've been impressed with his writing though for the sport of basketball. Someone from the Pacific Northwest, none other than Oliver Maroney. You may have known him from some of his articles either at the Oregonian or Dime Magazine, most recently with the startup three on three league, the Big Three. Oliver, how is life today?
1: It's good, man. It's good. We're navigating through, uh, you know, still a kind of a pandemic uh, feel to things. I think uh, everybody's kind of uh, slowing back down again. It's unfortunate, but you know, hey, uh, things are moving. Um, it's enjoyable and every day is, is, is a new adventure.
0: <laughs> every day is a new adventure. That's right. And that's one of the things that I enjoy about this podcast. I get to talk to um, people in the world of sports, again, mostly basketball, but I talked to coaches, I talked to players, some front office executives. I talked to a lot of journalists and everyone has a unique entry point to covering the sport that they love. Your entry point um, for your career in journalism is pretty interesting and pretty unique. Share with our listeners how you got into covering basketball as a journalist.
1: Yeah, I think uh, words that I You know, I always stick in my mind when somebody asks me this question and uh, it goes back to um, actually Olivia Decker, uh, Olivia Harlan, uh, Kevin Harlan's daughter. Uh, And we we had a podcast a few years ago and she said, it doesn't matter where you put your work. So like remove everything else. As long as you're putting out work and you're producing something, there is a chance that other people are watching and you have to assume that people are watching. And so uh, I think about that and this goes back to obviously my journey and career and whatnot, but I think about that a lot because I think it's really important to help people understand like you don't necessarily need to go to college for journalism. You don't need to necessarily know anything about writing to potentially write. Uh, You don't need to know anything about basketball potentially to cover basketball or watch basketball. None of those things are requirements. Everybody in this industry is here because they have a passion for it, one. And I think, two, uh, they truly, truly care about what they're doing. And those are the two kind of main things, along with, obviously, having a work ethic. So I kind of start there. But, like, for me, unconventional way. uh, You know, I started in middle school. I had a passion for basketball. I was never good enough to be a – even a high school basketball player to, a, to, to an extent. So for me, the second best thing was, how do I get involved with basketball? Um, and that was through covering basketball, watching basketball. Um, I really enjoyed it. And so uh, I got the opportunity, the Oregonian posted an article about wanting high school basketball reporters. Uh, I applied, um, had a call. And essentially, they paid me the the price of admission, um, five, ten bucks a game. And I got to go to every high school basketball game I could possibly dream of or want to go to across Oregon and Southwest Washington. And uh, that was during the times of Terrence Jones and Terrence Ross and EJ and Kyle Singler and Kevin Love. And even more recently, you know, your Kyle Wilchers, uh, Mike James, guys like that. So I got an opportunity to cover some really, really great athletes that ended up becoming either NBA players or great overseas pros. And uh, that's really how I got started in this, was, was, was starting there and loving it, enjoying it. Um, and what was interesting to me was I wasn't doing what I what I did most recently. I wasn't writing full-blown 1,000, 2,000, 4,000, 10,000 word articles. Uh, I was writing... Uh, literally two sentences about a game that I watched and my main priority was stat counting. So I had a sheet with both teams, all the numbers of of every player and I would stat count every rebound, every assist, every point, anything that was uh, something that I could count for I was doing. And so I'd submit the stats at the end of the night and it'd be printed in the back of the paper in this little tiny blurb on the very back of the sports section of the paper And guess what? I would cut those out. I would cherish those. They were awesome. And it was something that I got to look forward to. But um, alternatively, I got a lot more out of it than just that. You know, I I was sitting next to Terrence Jones's family members. You know, um, Kyle Wilcher became a a pretty close friend of mine. Uh, You know, Andrew Andrews, a bunch of different names that I can throw out there that ended up being really big pro players. I got to build relationships with, follow their kind of footsteps. And that really helped me to, to grow into the path of journalism.
0: You had mentioned passion for it and loving it on a couple occasions of that answer. And, and I think to be successful at anything, you have to have that uh, as a start. And then you have to have a work ethic. So you had the passion. You, you ha- found an opportunity. You took the most of it. But then you really got to work at it. You got to improve at your craft and it sounds like you were taking every opportunity you could to improve upon it and really work at it. When did you feel like you had a really big break that was going to give you an opportunity, um, to, to really take that next step? Was it dime magazine or was it something else that maybe I missed along the way?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it really, um, left Oregonian, uh, worked a full-time job, did a few other things Went, you know, obviously went to school, Um, and started my own blog, started doing some videos, started interviewing people. And I didn't really know where I was going to put it. Like, Like I said, once again, this goes back to Olivia Harlan's point of just like, put the stuff out there. It doesn't matter where it goes. Just continually work on building something up, you know, create those relationships, build those bonds, do those interviews. And so, um, I think right after college, I started doing some stuff uh, with a website called daily fantasy cafe, which traditionally was like daily fantasy stuff, nothing like crazy. And, um, uh, they were paying me, I think 25 bucks an article or something, you know, basically the cost of what it would be for my hours and work, uh, to write in-depth stories on players and coaches and get to know your favorite person. And, um, uh, I, I didn't have a media pass, didn't have anything else. I paid my way. Uh, this was something that Ben Golliver told me early on. Um, you know, if you really want to get into this, put yourself out there, you know, go out to these events, get out and meet with the executives, with the agents, with the coaches, with anybody who's involved. And uh, I connected with Kristen Ledlow and spent like a week with her down in Vegas, basically night and day, kind of, you know, four, six, eight hours a day following her figuring out what she did, how she did it, what she liked, what she didn't, the interview she did, the note-taking. I mean, I think there's this preconceived notion that broadcasters just throw out whatever they're thinking at the time of, of doing it. Most of the time, and, and more oftentimes than not, that's not the case. These broadcasters – I mean, I remember – I'll give you an example with Kristen Ledlow. She, she has notes on all these players from Summer League. David Stockton's one of the players. And I remember looking at her notes and being like, how could you possibly have this much on David? Like, and this isn't against anything against David Stockton. It's just David Stockton was a fringe summer league kind of roster guy. He he probably wasn't making an NBA roster anytime soon. And yet she did all this homework and had paid a couple of pages of notes on his career, his, she had quotes from his dad in there. Like you could tell that every little thing was, was put in there for a reason and whether she used it or not, she didn't care. She had it there. So she felt confident in whatever she was saying. And it was really easy to go back to at any point in time. So I think for me, that was the big break in getting that opportunity to kind of see what she did, how she did it. I did a story on it. It ended up going up on NBA TV Um, and she, she put some (laughs) language in one of the the answers. I said, do you think you you could beat certain players at horse? And she said, Oh yeah, CJ McCollum. She kind of threw out the name CJ McCollum and CJ saw it and it trailblazers picked it up. And then CJ is hitting me up and and we're doing a story on CJ. And so from that one story, it just, it's this like snowball effect. And I think that was probably one of my bigger breaks that I can remember is just getting that opportunity. Because what ended up happening is CJ is now reaching out. C- CJ and I developed a relationship for a long time, know each other pretty well at this point. Um, I did multiple stories on him because of what I did with Kristen, and um, you know I'll, I'll use CJ as a great example for this too. CJ was one of the most humble, honest, like approachable guys. Um, early on and, and still today and what I love most is when I was doing like my I think it was my first or second story on CJ I posted it I put it out there and CJ reached out to me via text this was not asked for I didn't ask for anything and he's like hey man this sentence looks a little wonky I'd change this and this and that to me like really stood out because you never and then this goes back to the Olivia Harlan point And some of the other points I've made, you just never know who is looking or who is reading or who is watching whatever you are doing. And it's vitally important to take whatever constructive criticism you get and and put that into into practice. So I think for me, that like I said, if you're talking about a break, big break moment, that was one big moment for me that that really turned into a snowball effect and really got eyeballs on some of the work that I did. And it really helped me along the way of getting more interviews.
0: That point that you made about the preparation that Kristen Ledlow is talking about, um, as a college broadcaster myself, I, I can attest to that. I will probably have, as she had, stacks of notes. And you probably only use maybe 5 to 10% of your stuff on any one particular player or game or team for a particular game, but really what you're doing is is you're filing away those thoughts so if you have the team multiple times or there's an opportunity to talk about that player it comes more naturally at that point as opposed to forced Um, and that's so interesting that you you mentioned that and then you weaved it into kind of how you built some relationships and how you kind of continue to prepare for opportunities because quite frankly in the media industry you don't know when those opportunities are going to come unless many times you're you know a future Hall of Fame player where everybody wants your take, everybody wants your opinion. There's lots of people vying for limited spots. You've got to be prepared when your chance comes. You did that in both the print journalism as well as, I guess I would consider it the social media world, because when the big three came up, you were front and center of a lot of what they were doing. Talk about how you became involved in the big three and kind of became from what I could tell when I would follow the stuff, part of the group.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it all started I mean, it, it started from, uh, doing numerous stories, um, on dime, doing in-depth stories and, uh, you know, slowly but surely as a journalist, you begin to build these relationships to a point where people just go to you for stuff. You're not asking for anything. You're not, you know, the fact that early on, I was given time of day from people like Kristen Ben Golliver, some of the best out there that do some of the best best work um you know i I think you compound that with your own work effort and energy and the passion behind it and like I said at slowly but surely it's it's a long process, but it's one that I really enjoyed. You start getting these emails out of the blue and Uh, The big three was one of those at the time, but like, I'll use the example, like any player that signed a deal with someone, any player that, you know, was looking for extra press or PR through their PR agency, you know, you start to get those emails slowly, but surely. And there's, that's where you know that you've started something that you've gotten somewhere. And um, like I said, for, for the big three, one of the PR reps reached out to me, had read my work and thought of me for this big three opportunity, along with probably 10 to 15 to 20 other writers. And I took it upon myself to make sure that I was first in line for it. So I, you know, I, I wrote out a detailed kind of um, description of what I wanted to do. And, and, and they they sent me over to give you an idea, like an overview of what the big three was. Hey, it's a three on three league. It's going to have Allen Iverson. It's going to have this person, this person, this is the concept. It's co-founded by Ice Cube. And from there, I took that and um, was, was just intrigued on how the heck this came about. That, that was my first question. Um, so that's what, I, that's what I wrote in my email back to the PR team. I said, hey, this seems like an amazing opportunity. I'm curious like how this all started. I'd love to do a story on that end of things. And, um, you know, I think probably two or three weeks later, we had started kind of having a dialogue and discussion around how that would look. And lo and behold, Ice Cube calls me up and, uh, you know, kind of a surreal moment for me, but you know, he, he calls me, yo, it's Cube, you know, and, and we start talking and it's, it's, um, it's, it's interesting. You know, I thought it was going to be a 10 minute conversation. It turns into like a 45 minute conversation and that conversation um, I think the questions that I asked were ones that probably uh, he hadn't heard or hadn't seen before. And I showed direct passion for it. Like I, like I said, I really loved the idea and the concept. And so from then on, it became this once again, a snowball effect. You bring something to the table for somebody that they haven't seen, haven't heard of. That's really what gets you in the doors with a lot of people. So um, wrote the story. It got picked up on ESPN. It got picked up on a few different other outlets. I went on a bunch of different shows. I think Jim Rome and um, I think Bomani Jones's show at one point. And so, you know, the big three obviously took notice of it and they started asking me questions. What could we do? How could we do things? What do you see as, is value? And I kind of became like the pseudo journalist for the big three. The, I think, I think, uh, on a part in my take podcast on Barstool, Ice Cube references me as the Big Three Woj. So um, that that's kind of how I became, you know, part of part of the group. Is I, I showed a passion for it. I wanted to be involved. I wanted to I wanted to cover these guys, and I knew these guys. Like growing up for me, these this is my age group. You know, this is uh, your time. I mean, like right around that that time where I was super passionate about like not only the trailblazers, but basketball in general and seeing these guys that i had kind of looked up to specifically, I'll reference Allen Iverson. He had the ACE bandages on. And I remember in middle school going, every, going to every single supermarket or store to try and find ACE bandages to wear just like Allen Iverson. And so for me, it was, yeah, I wanted to be in it. I wanted to be a part of it. I had a passion for it. And um, you know, obviously, I got very lucky. There, there, nothing happens without a little bit of luck. ESPN and some of these places picking it up, giving me the opportunity to go on their shows, really, really helped. And uh, yeah, that, that that's really how I got my start with the Big Three. And and like I said, it's it's something that for three years I really enjoyed being a part of, and and, and something that I'll always cherish.
0: You know, staying on the Big Three for a moment, I love that concept. I think it's uh, very interesting. Um, but the guys that are involved with that, you've got a, a nice kind of level uh, of guys. You've got Hall of Famers like Rick Barry who are coaches. You've got guys who are very good as pros, Charles Oakley, Gary Payton, who's obviously a Hall of Famer as well that are involved as coaches, general managers, and then recently finished players like Iverson, Uh, I got to throw my guy, Scalabrini in the mix, Steven Jackson, but it seems to be very authentic. Everybody plays not for the money, although I know they're getting paid each weekend, but they're playing because they love the game. They want to be around it. And maybe their body doesn't allow them to play back-to-back nights in full court anymore. But, you know, with the rules, the way they're structured, uh, seems like a lot of fun. Did you get that sense being on the inner circle? that it was absolutely authentic and these guys played for the love of the game?
1: That's all it's for. I mean, most of these guys don't need the money. Everybody knows that they made a lot of money in their careers. I mean, take Scal and Brini, for instance. I think Scal's a great example. Uh, Great friend of mine. uh, Love what he does. But uh, the thing that I think was most important for him is he said, look, my kids never got to see me play. Uh, And that's something that, like, you know, if you get the opportunity to play on, like, a national stage again – why wouldn't you give that opportunity to your kids to, 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 to see you play up close and personal? You know, I, I think uh, a lot of these guys now have families, they have kids, they have people they want to impact. Second part of it, I think that's, that's interesting too, is, you know, no offense to the NBA or, or how it's done, but fans don't really get the full opportunity to, to see inside kind of what their lives are like or how they're doing things. They don't get that personalized touch point very often and in the big three, what was amazing is that all these players, they want to go sign autographs. They want to take pictures with fans. They want to have youth camps and and bring kids in whenever they can. So to me, I, th- I think it's just like the humbleness and the the gratefulness of like the opportunity to once again, lace them up, get on the court, show people what they still have. And you, you mentioned it. They may not have the full uh, kind of um, – Mental and physical aspects to be able to go up and down a court for 82 games or back to back or whatever the case may be. But you never, like, you can probably attest to this, you never lose your shooting touch. Like, you can still shoot the basketball. Um, yes, it may be a little rusty at times. Yes, you may not have practiced for a while. But if you put in a little bit of effort and time, you're back to where you were in terms of the shooting, the mechanics, and the IQ. I mean, I look at guys like Katino Mobley, dudes almost, you know, what is he, 45, 40, whatever it is, still can play at an extremely high level. I bet you, you know, even today, and I know this may sound crazy, if an NBA team wanted to put him on the court for 10, 15, 20 minutes, he may not be able to keep up the entire time, but isolation, one-on-one basketball, if, if you're taking, you know, Coutinho Mobley against your average NBA player, I think, you know, he'd have a pretty good shot, like a 50-50 shot at, at, at giving a guy buckets
0: um and, no, that's so funny patino sorry to interrupt oliver because i yeah. had him on my podcast uh we we released it a couple of weeks back and he mentioned almost the same thing you're talking about because i asked him hey you you, you still play a little bit because we played against each other in the tbt or in the not against each other but together in the same tournament the tbt i know he's been involved with big three and he, he essentially said his mind works so much faster because his body doesn't quite go as quickly. He can process it, which allows him to make some of the same reads and be almost as effective as he was years past. So that's such a good point. Before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about probably – I believe it's the first time you and I had chatted, and this was about a really good article that I know got a lot of uh, play – different outlets and it was your article that you wrote called we got the unofficial rules of pickup basketball from players nba media and none other than mark cuban um my comment to you was, you couldn't call game fouls on game point unless it was absolutely warranted there were a number of other good ones such as brent berry's uh line that you couldn't wear a sweatband or a headband if you were showing up to pick up basketball in that article, was there one kind of uh, anecdote that jumped out of you about a certain guy or player with a comment they made?
1: Uh, I think all of them are unique. That's what I thought was so intriguing. right? like, I I don't really have one to pinpoint. I think Mark Cuban. Uh, I think he references the jerseys. Like, don't sport like the the full outfit or yes. something like that. Yeah. Um, I think that's like amazing to me. I think it's hilarious that you know, here's an NBA owner mentioning that they shouldn't be wearing NBA jerseys on the court. <laughs> never wear but, a full uniform. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Yeah, but I think that's, I mean, it's, it's true though. Uh, I, I think a lot of people feel the same way about, you know, pickup basketball. It, the idea came to me, I was playing pickup at 24-Hour Fitness, uh, this is years ago, and I just recall somebody bringing out a, like, I've never seen this before, and everybody has one of these pickup stories, right? He brings out this brand new box of shoes, opens them up. It's like a two hundred dollar pair of whatever. He's got the compression gear on, and he's got the shooting sleeve, and he's got all this stuff. And I, I thought it was hilarious, but you know, you get these stereotypes all the time. And comes into the pickup game. He's shooting on the sidelines. I'm like, yeah, Hey, he looks pretty good. Like, you know, I think maybe somebody's gonna think he's someone. You know, and uh, he gets on the court. I don't think he made a shot. I don't think he had an assist. I don't think he made any sort of impact on either end of the court, but he was probably picked in the top like three to five. And I was like, there needs to be something written about this because this is, this is you're, you're falsifying your brand here by, <laughs> by, by dressing up like this and showing everybody that you're bee's knees and you're not. So I, that's what I found so funny. And, and like I said, the, these stories, um, that's what makes them so fun to do uh, to be able to get everybody's opinion and ideas on certain things. I did one on Dwight Howard being a hall of famer. And I just, (laughs) to me, it's hilarious to like see those questions come through and see the responses on them. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's, that's what kind of triggered it. And, uh, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of them that stick out. And Kyle Wilchers was really intriguing to me too. I, I I don't remember what it was, but it was around three point shots only being worth one or something like that. I've
0: got it right here. Um, yeah always play by ones which you know to be quite frank uh, myself as a as a shooter kyle as a shooter that makes no sense i mean you know <laughs> the way the game's played it's all it's in, instead of playing by ones, play by twos and threes that's or ones and twos which is how i grew up playing especially as a shooter you want you want every advantage you can get to to win and stay on the court um but yeah, yeah. there are some good ones i you know what i'm gonna post that article Uh, either later today or maybe when we release this interview uh, for the ISO podcast, because I think it's tremendous. I love looking back at this um, and and seeing a lot of guys' thoughts. Now, I did say I was going to let you go, but, yes, we just released audio. But I'm looking at at you on this Zoom call with the screen, and you've got the Cameo hat right now. I I know social media is really active, and there's a lot of really unique things. Cameos started to to come onto the scene the last year or so. And I look at that as, as something new and unique, a way for fans to be connected to, uh, whether it's an athlete or it's a celebrity, an entertainer, and, and you're connected with Cameo, you're working for Cameo right now. Share a little bit more about what exactly Cameo is.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Cameo, I'm, a, I'm in the sports group at Cameo, so we, we handle all the sports partnerships and agreements that we go through, get guys on. Um, but Cameo is a, is a place where fans can go to get personalized video messages but in, in short and simple. Um, you know, if you want to, if you, if Gonzaga fans want a Mark Few video, Mark Few is on there, you, you pay X amount. I, I don't know what the dollar amount is right now for Mark. I think it's probably 150, 200 bucks, something like that, but you can get a personalized video message. You get a happy birthday. You get a, you know, I've seen anything from gender reveals to. I mean, Chris Broussard's done best man ones, Um, you know, so there's just so many different ways that you can use it. But, you know, during times like this fans don't get the opportunity to meet their favorite players. Uh, Meet and greets are at a very, very small number. If they're, if they're even around right now. And um, it's a way really to personally connect with, with, with your fan base, if you're an athlete or a coach or anyone of the sort, and it's a way to give back. I mean, we have a lot of people on the platform right now. I mean, uh, gosh, you can go down the list of guys that are on there for foundations or good causes. Um, so yeah, that, that's 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 basically the gist of it. It's 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 something that I think for me the most rewarding aspect is just seeing the fans be able to get the opportunity to do it and then seeing their reactions. I mean, we've had like a couple weeks ago we had this woman get wished happy birthday from Joe Montana, uh-huh. and you'd think like she just won like a million dollars. Um, you know, that, that's the sort of reaction they're getting from these things. And so for me, that's, that's the best part about it. The, the priceless reactions from fans and uh, seeing the smiles on people's faces when they get these is, is awesome.
0: Yeah, I'm interested to uh, check out Cameo a little bit more. I kind of liken it to sports card autographs uh, due to the, the environment that we're in right now with, with COVID not being able to go out and meet people. Um, But, yeah, I'm interested in checking more out about that. I'm definitely going to reread this Pick Up Basketball Rules article. Uh, I look forward um, to that. I thank you for joining. And uh, keep up the great work, not only with Cameo, but any of the uh, kind of freelance journalist articles that you write. So, again, for the ISO podcast and SB Live Sports, I've been Dan Dickow. Today's guest was Oliver Maroney.